following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. Wednesday night. Wednesday night. Come on, Wednesday night. Let's clap. What a joy. Wednesday night. It's halftime. It's timeout time. It's time we just kind of say, you know what, hump day, you're not going to mess with me. We're going to have church tonight. We're going to hear the word of the Lord tonight. And we're going to leave here with a switch in our hand from a peach tree. And we're going to whip every bear that tries to destroy us. Because God is for us. And if he's for us, who can be against us? And I love preaching this time of the year because it doesn't demand a lot of response. You can sit there like a statue. Uh, Scratch your nose every now and let us know you're alive. But at the same time, the gospel is the gospel. And this is a great, great season. I love to preach during Christmas because, you know, without the birth of Jesus, we're not here today. Because he came, we can go home to be with him someday. And what a joy that is. What a joy that is. And tonight, I promise, and I will do this, and I will deliver. It's 7.55, and by 8.30, you will be walking past the coffee shop, past the bookstore, to get you a cup of coffee on your way home if it's still open. If it's closed, they close at 8.25, okay? <laughs> All right, would you stand? You're awesome people. Can't wait till Sunday. Can't wait till this weekend because it's going to be phenomenal. It really, really is because here's, here's what you got to understand. Pastor Randy, our music pastor and, uh, and, and his associates have started what they call an infused program with our music. And we have discovered some talent that's been hidden under a rock. We really, really have. Even kids as young as 14 years old will be performing on this stage come Sunday. And when you hear them sing, you're going to say, she's got to be 24. But no, they're 14. So the bottom line is that we have discovered a lot of great talent, a lot of great guitar players, a lot of great uh, keyboard players, a lot of great talent, a lot of singers. And this, this stage is going to be filled with 30, 35 people. It'd be like a huge choir with every one of them knowing their part. That's nice. I sang in a choir one time. I was preaching a camp meeting several years ago, and I decided to sing in the choir one night at that camp meeting. So I went to choir practice, and they put me on the back row. Yes. They didn't recognize my ministry of song. And I was standing beside a guy that couldn't find a key, a pitch, with a radio in his ear. He could not find a pitch. But when I tell you, that guy sang with everything that was in his heart. And when I got through singing in the choir that night, it was my turn to preach. And, and I, I, I was so moved by that guy's ability to not be able to sing, or disability not to be able to sing, but his ability to make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Amen. But what's more joyful than that is people that can sing, that enjoy the ability that they can sing, and they rejoice in that. Amen. So we're going to be blessed. I, I, am, I am so proud of this music team. I'm so proud of what they are doing and what they have done. Last year was off the chart and, and I heard them practice the other night. See, I have privileges. I can come to practice. And uh, if they tell me to leave, I just say, no, I'm not going to leave. No, I'm here. I'm here. And uh, that's not being cocky. That's just the way I am. I've been here a little while. So 
But they don't ask me to leave, and, and, but they do ask me how I feel about it, and I said, I, I can't wait till the people can hear this on Sunday. So Sunday, Saturday night, it's going to be a great, great time. You don't want to miss it. Turn to somebody and say, A, a way a. in a manger. A. Not a way in a manger, but a way in a manger. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I want you to be seated in the name of the Lord. I'm speaking tonight on that subject. God bless you. A mother and a daughter were in a shopping mall, and a mother spied an expensive fur coat. He said, she said, this year I think that I will buy my own present instead of making you and Dad shop for me. And the daughter nodded in agreement. That's good, Mom. And she said, I think this fur coat would be perfect, the mother concluded. And the daughter began to protest. She said, but, Mom, some poor, helpless creature had to suffer so that you could have this fur coat. And the mom looked at her and said, don't worry, honey, your father won't get the bill for at least four weeks. <laughs> Sound familiar? You ever had the feelings of inadequacy? Sometimes during this holiday season we feel inadequate. Charles Schultz does a masterful job of capturing those feelings in a cartoon character, Charlie Brown. I love Charlie Brown. He's one of my favorites. And Charlie Brown and Linus and Lucy are lying on a hillside looking up at the clouds. And Lucy says, if you use your imagination, you can see a lot of things in the cloud formations. She said, what do you think you see, Linus? And he says, well, those clouds up there look like the map of the British Honduras of the Caribbean. And the cloud over there looks like the profile of Thomas Eakins, the famous painter and sculptor. And that clouds over there gives me the impressions of a stoning of Stephen. And I can see the Apostle Paul standing there to one side. And Lucy responds, uh-huh. It's very good. What do you see in the clouds, Charlie Brown? And Charlie responds with his typical note of inadequacy. He said, well, I was going to say I saw a ducky and a horsey. <laughs> but I've changed my mind. <laughs> so if you see Thomas Eakins in the clouds, you see the stoning of Stephen and the Apostle Paul, or you see a horse and a ducky. Nobody's inadequate in the house of God today. Everybody counts in this house. Turn to somebody and say, you matter. Yeah. Luke chapter 2, the Bible said, and this will be a sign to you, you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Everybody say, this will be a sign. You'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. One of the things Mom always enjoyed was showing the pictures of me on the first day of my life. With my birthday approaching, Patty and I, back in the day, would go see Mom on my birthday. And it was always a sure thing that old photos would, would be on display again. And it was just Mom's way of reminiscing about the past, lying in those, or living in those moments of her youth, my boyhood. A time we thought would never, never end. And every year she told me that I was the hundredth baby born in the Mangum Hospital in my year of birth. The picture shows a plain room of white walls and no color, no decor. So here's a, here's a little picture. Now that little baby there is me. And, and I asked her one time, did the police bring me or did you really birth me? And my mama said, you look too much like me. You're mine. But I want you to kind of look at the, the drabness behind it. Don't look at the baby. Look at the drabness behind it. That was one of the ugliest rooms in the history of birthing. And, and, and in, my, in my baby book, uh, I still have it. I've kept it. There's a $50 check paid to the hospital. I sent my parents back 50 bucks. 
it costs 50 bucks for me to come into the world. That kind of makes me feel bad, but it also makes me feel like I was a good bargain. And I think I gave back more to my mom and dad than 50 bucks. Amen. Makes me feel good. Get that picture off. Now, fast forward to 1997. We were in this church, and Nate and Adina Keating, our first associate pastors, were assisting us here. There's our first assistant associates here. And they now, now pastor a wonderful church in Lumberton, Texas, and I love them dearly. Their kids are all grown. There's all born here. And there was the birth of their first child. It was a son named Alec, the first of many God-grandsons and God-granddaughters born in this church through pastors that came through here. People that came through here couldn't have babies, and when they left here, they had so many they couldn't hardly pack and leave. <laughs> Patty and I were thrilled at the prospect of going to greet the Keatings and offer our congratulations for little Alex's birth. And when we arrived at the hospital, we were told that Adina had a birthing suite. When we heard the word suite, I immediately wondered what this room would resemble. I've got a picture of a modern birthing suite right here, right now, and I want to show it to you. There it is. Now, that looks a little different than what I was born in. And Adina's looks somewhat like that, honestly. It looks somewhat like that. And so, wow, leave it up there while I teach. And stepping through the door, I observed that the room was very comfortable, very cozy place. And the stress from hours of waiting seemed to instantly relax as we were surrounded by this clean, this warm, this pleasantly appointed room. The large quarters with its soft colors inviting jacuzzi, a jacuzzi and large recliners was nothing like the tiny non-sterile room of the hospital where mom had delivered me on that December morning. This place was equipped with the latest technology and many wonderful birthing aids such as a 32-inch LCD flat screen TV. And there was a separate seating area for guests in a room that could be closed off for a mom and a baby. And as I stood amazed and the marvel of it all, Nate informed me that it was called a private birthing suite and it looks something like that you can take it off because it's making me sick <laughs> because I didn't get born in that when Misty my oldest was born in Abilene had not been allowed to go in with her mom to see the baby born it was in that day not not feasible but I had to wait to hear the news of a new baby girl and the wait was 21 and a half long hours but standing there in the suite with Nate and Adina a little streak of jealousy overtook me as I thought this is exactly the sort of place where I, had, I would have liked to have been born. And this season, as I look back and admire that hospital room that Adina gave birth to little Alec, it now strikes me that Jesus was born in such a different place. Now, I'm fixed to tell you folks a true story. It's a very true story, and, and, and you can Google it, and you can, you can fact find it, and it's true. No matter how much it sounds like a fairy tale, an unsuspecting man literally stumbled upon what was and still is today the world's largest diamond. He stumbled upon it. It was 3,106 carats of it, about a pound and a third. It happened in the premier mine number two near Pretoria, South Africa in 1905. And due to the immense value of this enormous diamond, the authorities in charge of its transportation were posed with a huge security problem. How could they get it to their company headquarters in England from South Africa without some kind of thief coming and trying to take it from them. And they solved their dilemma in an interesting way. Detectives from London were placed on a steamboat. 
that was rumored to carry the expensive stone back to England. And the detectives placed the parcel in the captain's safe and guarded the safe throughout the entire journey. However, this was just a diversionary tactic. The stone on the ship was a fake stone meant to attract those who might be interested in stealing it. The actual diamond was sent to England, are you ready for this, in an ordinary, plain, cardboard box by registered parcel post. 105 stones were cut from this one diamond known as the Cullinan Diamond. Two of the largest stones which it produced were a 530-carat stone known as the Great Star of Africa. Can you put the pics up of these, of, these, of these things? Okay, there's the stone he stumbled on. There's the Great Star of Africa. That's 530 carats. Go to Tiffany's. They may have it, and you can look at it and buy it if you want it. I don't know. It may cost you several billions. Or a 317-carat Cullen II, both of which are a part of British's crown jewels. There's the pick. If you shop for jewelry this season for your wife or for your husband or you want a diamond for your girlfriend, you know how expensive even one carat is. Just imagine a stone with 3,106 carats. It's called invaluable. It's called invaluable. And yet, it was shipped by parcel post in a plain cardboard box. Wow, I put that in my notes. What an analogy for what happened more than 2,000 years ago in Bethlehem of Judea. The king of kings, the king of kings, does anybody think he's invaluable? Does anybody believe that there's none like him? Does anybody believe that there's no one standing next to him? Does anybody believe that he came to a lowly stable and the shepherds found him lying in a manger, a trough where animals fed. No, Jesus was not born in an immaculate birthing suite. He was born in a stable, and he was laid in a manger. The question is, of all the places he could have been born, why was Jesus born in an animal stall and laid in a feed trough? Why a manger? Some might say, well, it must have happened that way in order to fulfill the Scriptures. And it's, that's a good point. Jesus was born in a manger to fulfill prophecy in the Old Testament, that's why. But in the Old Testament, there are no prophecies like that. None of the prophets foretold that Jesus would be born in a manger. It's not in the book. So, point two. I've often heard and suggested that because Jesus was a good shepherd, and He was born in a place for shepherds, a manger. But shepherds don't live in stables. And they certainly don't give birth in those places. It's true that shepherds were treated as outcasts. And they were the poorest of the poor. But a shepherd would not be born in a manger. Even shepherds had homes of their own and were safe and warm. And so the third point hit me. The most common reason given comes directly from Luke's account. He said they laid him in a manger because there was no room in the inn. I want to preach here just a little bit. Then I'm going to finish this message. I trust that this Christmas... There'll be room for Jesus in your house. I trust that this Christmas he won't have to go away to some other place, but you'll give him lodging in your house. Would anybody like to raise your hands and say, Pastor, I'm on board. Come on, I'm on board. I'm not going to turn him away from my house. Come on, if he wants in our house, we're going to have him in our house this Christmas. We're going to have him in our house this Christmas. We really, really are. I read one time about 
an armistice that was signed and, and was carried out on Christmas Day by three warring factions over in Europe. It was December the 24th and these armies had fought and fought and fought. And on Christmas Day, there was our mistress. Somebody raised up a rifle and had a white flag on it. And they realized it was Christmas Day. And all the fussing stopped and all the fighting stopped. And there was no one killed on Christmas Day. Can I declare to you, it's time to raise the flag in your home on Christmas Day. It's not time for war in your house. Let me preach right now. It's not time for family to turn against family on this day. It's time to let Jesus in your house. It's time for peace to come. It's time for joy to come. It's time for righteousness to come in your house. Oh, let me talk to you right now. Don't let him go away to some other place. Let him in your house. It's important he gets in your house. Hallelujah. And while this is the story as it tells it, a casual reading can lead to a manger misconception, one that misses the part of the miracle of Christmas. Many view this part of the birth as though it was an accident, simply the results of poor planning and perhaps overcrowding. To hear it told, it sounds like an oversight of the omniscient, a messianic mistake. You hear this, Pastor. When I prepare for a trip, Patty and I, we generally plan what we will wear on that trip and we pack accordingly. We generally plan what day we will leave on that trip. We generally plan how we'll travel and get to our destination. And we generally plan where we'll eat and what kind of eating places are there because I like to eat and will Bluebell be there when I get there. <laughs> and we always plan what time we will depart and numerous other details. And I usually have a plan and then contingency plan in case the unforeseen difficulties or accidents happen on our trip. However, before I plan any personal details, the first thing I make sure of is, do I have a place to stay when I get there? Is there a Marriott there? Is there a Holiday Inn Express? Is there a courtyard? And the single most important detail is that I have a guaranteed place to lay my head each night of my trip. All other details work around this single most important item. Folks, it is inconceivable to me that God, who spent 4,000 years preparing for Bethlehem birth, would forget to make reservations in the world that he created. Oh, I will. The God who had a logos, who had a plan from the foundation of the world, would not leave any part of his arrival to mere chance. The one who knows the hair on our head and we're numbered. He knows when a sparrow falls. He understands our rising up and he understands our downsettings. In his birth and life, there were no accidents. It was all appointed. Everything was planned. Everything was down to the last detail. Just as sure as there are a tribe of Judah and a lineage of Jesse and a house of David foretold, the manger was a forethought, not an afterthought. The God who sent his word through his prophets declaring the city of Bethlehem would be where Jesus would be born. Micah said it. And the womb of a virgin, Isaiah said it, also decided the stable of an inn and the trough of an ox was where he was going to be born. Of all the places Jesus could have been born, why the manger? It's powerful, but I think to answer that question, first you need to look at the real manger and see what it's like. See at Christmas. We tend to romanticize the manger. We really do. 
in our displays and pictures, we turn it into something beautiful and heavenly. A first century birthing suite with glory streaming through the windows and conveniently located so that the baby is illuminated by the starlight. That's what we see. But a real manger just didn't like that. Jesus was born in a place full of mud, full of manure, sorry to say it, full of dust and cobwebs. It was a small cave that smelled of musk and mold. Flies and spiders and insects attended his birth. And as for the crib, it was nothing more than a rock hollowed out to hold animal feed. That's all it was. And there was no pastel colors decorating where he lay down his head. Only the stain of constant animal slobber would they have drooled as they had eaten. His sweet was straw for a mattress and rags for a covering. The truth is, there's no such thing as a clean or hygienic manger. A manger is cold and dark and dirty and lifeless. Everybody say cold. Everybody say dark. Everybody say dirty. Everybody say lifeless. So why was Jesus born in a place like that? It wasn't an accident for he surely as the angels, the shepherd's angels knew the city of David. It also knew the sign of deity. You will find a babe lying in a manger. Cullinan diamond, cardboard box. The manger was on purpose and therein lies a great spiritual truth. And the truth is that Jesus is always born in a manger. Every time Jesus comes into someone's life that is lost, he is born in a manger. The human heart is like a manger. It's cold. It's dark. It's dirty. And it's lifeless. It's cold because we do not know the love of God. It's dark because we do not have hope of salvation. It's dirty because we're sinners stained and soul by sin. And it's lifeless because the newness of life has not yet been born into our hardened existence. But the miracle of Christmas, the real miracle, is that Jesus is willing to be born in hearts like ours. Oh! Can I preach a little bit right now? You can't get good enough to get God. But when you get God, He makes you good. You are nothing without God, but everything with God. Hallelujah. Come on now. Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. There's nothing good in me. I have nothing to offer him. I know I'm putting my vernacular on it. But when he found me, he saved me. He turned me around. I was a church hater. I was a Christian killer. I had nothing good in me. But he touched me one day. He turned me around. He found my manger. And he came to life inside of me. Because I was cold. And I was dirty. And I was dark. And I was lifeless. But when Jesus found me. He turned my life around. The miracle of Christmas, no matter how cold the heart, Jesus is willing to be born there. No matter how dark and how dirty and how lifeless the heart is, 
Jesus is willing to be in that manger. In the coldness of our despair, Jesus is born. In the darkness of our grief and sorrow, Jesus is born. And in the mess and the filth of our sin, Jesus is born. And I close with one of the most beautiful stories ever happened in this church. And I've told it before and I'll tell it till the day I die. We were next door in the A-frame running about 60, 65, 70 people. And a woman walked in one night, so beautiful, so splendidly dressed, that, and honestly, it wasn't out of lust, but men were doing double and triple takes. She came in, she sat down. And after church, she walked up to me and she said, my name is, and she gave me her name. And I said, we're glad to have you. She said, I'm glad to be here. I said, why are you here? What brought you here? She started telling me a tale of woe. She was a New York City call girl that had fallen in love with one of her tricks one night. And he was a bad man. He was a dope dealer on the lamb from the FBI. He was also a sitcom writer, but his real money was his dope dealing. And they had run to Texas to get away from the law because he was wanted in New York State. And they found their way to Austin. They lived at an address that nobody knew. They were just hiding in this city. But she had a grandmother who knew how to pray. And she said one day when she was driving by this little A-frame building, God said, turn in here. This is your grandmother's kind of church. And she turned into Christian Life Church and walked in the door and thus began a relationship with one of the most awesome conversions I've ever ministered to in my life. We had a, a pilot for Delta Airlines that was coming to do a, a little seminar for us on soul winning. God, we needed soul winners to fill up the church. And he did, a, he did a seminar, and she came to that seminar. And he walked up to her after that seminar. I kind of told him a little bit about her. She had more shoes than Imelda Marcus. She had more change of clothes. Our women were just saying, boy, I wish I was that size. I'd sure beg that dress off of her. But she was quite a, quite a, quite a lady, very kind, very kind, but very, very lost. And he walked up to her and he said, I want to congratulate you, ma'am, for being baptized. She said, I hadn't been baptized. He said, oh, but you will. <laughs> and it wasn't long. It wasn't long until we baptized her. And then she said, I want you to come to our house. I trust you, Pastor. I trust this church. I want you to come to our house. And I want you... I worship idols, and I want you to pray my idol spirit out of my house. And me and a couple of just young men that were just kind of working with me, we didn't even have an associate assistant then, just some young men that I trusted, and I was trying to mold into something. We went out to her house, and I told him, I said, you might take some baseball bats. And I wasn't trying to be funny. And they said, what for? I said, we may have to do some idol bashing. Acts 19, they did that. And we went out there to that house and she had all kinds of serpent trees and she had all kinds of stuff and she was wrapped up in a certain theology. She said, I don't want this anymore. It's got a hold on my life. 
And we took those away and we put them away from her house. We had a little bonfire. And we smashed some of them when she wasn't looking. <laughs> but we burned them. And when we left there that day, she said, I feel free. I feel free. I feel free. Randy, if you'll help me. And, 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 and the next service, she came back to church. And now she had been baptized. And now we had taken those idols out of her house. Boy, she had a bunch of them. So rich. She was so wealthy. Her family, that family was so wealthy. They could have built us a church by themselves. And she came to church on a Sunday night, a Sunday morning Sunday night. And that Sunday night, I preached a sermon simply entitled, He that the Son hath made free is free indeed. Now, I didn't do any Greek study. I just preached that word indeed. I said that word means free. Yes. Oh, yeah. I mean, I had a lot of definitions. Oh, yeah, I'm free. Mm, I'm free. Yes, I'm free. That kind of stuff. And I, I used to preach in the aisle. <laughs> now we don't have aisles, so I can't preach in the aisle. And I, would, I was walking down the middle aisle, about 65, 70 people at church, and she reached up and grabbed my arm and said, I want to be free. She stepped out in the aisle, and I said, Oh, God, come to town with me. And when you put God... You put God to a test, He always passes that test. He's never going to let you down. And I said, her name was Regina, and I said, Regina, I said, hon, when I lay hands on you, the best that God's ever given to anybody, He's going to give it to you today. He's going to baptize you with the Spirit. And she said, Pastor, you don't understand. I'm the worst He's ever saved. And I said, no, no. God's goodness is going to be better than your badness. And from, from that night was born this message many years ago. He was born in a manger that night in her heart. It was cold. It was dirty. It was lifeless. There was no, no spirit there. And when I laid hands on her, it wasn't me. It was the God factor. When I laid hands on her, power of God hit her she fell to the floor nobody caught her we didn't have catchers then she fell to the floor lifted her hands and God baptized her now I know you say that's the end of the story that's not the end of the story I got, I got a few more minutes. Not the end of the story. They had to leave our town. They had to leave this city. And I thought, you know, she'll probably never, she'll, she'll probably never make it. That's just because she didn't get grounded. And one day, about a month later, we got this beautiful floral arrangement. We got this beautiful floral arrangement. And it was from her. She said, remembering what Jesus did for me in that house. And the next Sunday, we got the same thing. And the next Sunday, the same thing. And for a solid year, every Sunday, Regina sent us the most beautiful, beautiful flowers to decorate the house of God. And what the church didn't know until after the fact, was she was blessing this church. 
and keeping this church above water from us from sinking because things were not really coming in monetarily. She brought money and sent money to the house of God. And here's what I want to tell you. The last time I heard, Regina was living on the hallelujah side of the victory of all people. Now hear me. Hear me. A New York call girl married to a drug dealer worshiping an idol God found a savior. He's always born in a manger. Aren't you glad that when you were cold and lifeless and dirty and ugly, God found you and changed your life? I think we're all to stand to our feet this Christmas, this Christmas season, and lift up our hands and say, Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Come on, thank you, Lord, for saving me. Thank you, Lord, for salvation in my life. I love to tell Regina's story. I really, really do. It'll be in a book later. But I love to tell her story because I want you to know it doesn't matter how bad you are. It doesn't matter how deep in sin you are. It doesn't matter how far away from God you are. I promise you, he came and was born in a stable, in a manger, because he knew people like us was going to need him one day. And we couldn't get clean enough to get him. He had to come where we were. And we were lost. And we were hopeless. But he found us. You want to give that Jesus a hand clap tonight of appreciation? Because he's pretty good. Pretty good. Pretty good. Away. In. Amazing. Come on. Clap your hands real big. Clap your hands real big. Clap your hands real big. cardboard box for an invaluable diamond a manger for a savior that's how it works and so it doesn't matter where you are today in your walk it doesn't matter to God you just need to resist quit resisting him and let him come and live in your heart and this Christmas season it's going to be a great great time to let that happen Sunday is going to be a great day. Next Wednesday, we're going to be preaching and teaching some more. But then next Sunday, the Sunday of the 23rd, it'd be a great day. It'd be a real great day for you to come with your family and say, Pastor, it'd be nice if I get baptized today. It'd be nice if I could find the Lord today. Because I promise you, He's waiting on you. You're not waiting on Him. Lift your hands all over the building. I love you, Jesus, and I thank you for tonight. I thank you for your blessing. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for the fact, Lord, that you've come to where we are. We don't have to get good to get you. You find us right where we are, and you save us right now in our own situation. Thank you, Lord, because there's nobody like you. There's nobody around you. There's nobody that can even hold you a candle. There's not anything on this earth that's like you. There's not anything that's coming that's like you. Jesus, you are our Savior. We honor you. And Father, we thank you for letting Jesus come, for bringing the, 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 the God in flesh to us. Thank you for that. We honor that. We honor him. We honor him. And thank you, Jesus, for sending the Holy Ghost back to us. We honor that. And Jesus, you come to live in our hearts. We were dirty. We were lost. We were hopeless. There was nothing good in us, but you found us and you saved us and you made us alive. 
and we give you praise tonight. Why don't you lift your hands above your head and clap them above your head like this right here and say, wow. I love you. Come on, I love you. 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 Amen. And I know many of you will want that picture of me when I was a baby. It's not for sale. I love you very much. I'll see you this Saturday. I'll see you Sunday, whenever you choose to come. Be blessed. Go shop. Don't spend too much. Save something for Jesus. I love you. God bless. You're dismissed in the name of the Lord. Amen.